Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Man, I just want to start by saying that these these holiday weekends uh, that we gather together, and uh, and it's just in one service. Um, I I don't know what, when when you hear we're just having one service, what that means to you. To me, it, it means something really special. Um, because, you know, when you're, you know, a part of a church that has two different services and you've got the people who really come to first hour and you got the people that really come to second hour and we got these few times a year that we're like, all right, you know, there's a lot of folks traveling. It's going to be kind of a different day for one reason or another. And it, it just makes sense for us to, to just gather together and, and be in the room all together at one time. Y'all for the sake of the community, that's a really sweet day. (laughs) You know, you get to look around the room and, and see, see some people that you might normally see or just see them in passing in the, in the lobby, you know, on a Sunday. And uh, days like this, we get to worship together. I think that's special. Also, remember that on days like this, the folks that are helping with Grove Kids and, and serving, a lot of times some of the, those folks don't get to be involved in the service. When you see them, say, hey, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for taking care of our kiddos today so that we can be all together. But, but make a point today, if you see somebody that you don't normally get to see and, uh, and we're in this room together to say, Hey, what's up? And uh, and to make that contact because it's something special when the family's in room one room together, right? <laughs> Amen. Is that um, so? I, I really look forward to these days, and uh, and also this this series that we're getting ready to kick off, uh, where we're going to study Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm super excited about it. I'm going to kick it off today, and then Charlie's going to walk us through chapter by chapter and and thought by thought through uh, the rest of the series. But I'm excited to kick it off. And I'll kind of give you a little bit behind the scenes background on how we ended up at this as, as Charlie and I were thinking and praying and planning what the sermon series are going to look like through the summer and, and building up to the fall. We, uh, we got invited to this preacher luncheon and uh, we ended up going, uh, Charlie and I and Matt Vaughn, our, our student pastor. And this, this says a lot about us. I don't know if it says good or bad, but, but Charlie and I really don't look forward to those kinds of things. Um, just been to a bunch of them. And again, this is broken parts and scars in our own life, probably. But uh, people are just a little bit too smiley, you know? Um, I mean, I remember back, you know, through my life, different competitive things I've been a part of. And when everybody gathers together, you know, you get a bunch of football players together and they're all talking about how many tackles or touchdowns they scored. When I, I sold life insurance for a while, and those guys would get together and talk about how many policies they had sold. Then I'd go to a preacher conference, and everybody's like talking about how many people are in the seats and how much offering they had, and you know, all, all of these sides. Because, you know, because the Lord blessed, but then they would talk all about themselves with a big smile on their face, and their hair was always just a little bit too fixed, you know? They just looked a little bit too perfect. And so we probably walk into those places, do walk into those places with a pretty big guard up, like, Man, I know there's something good here, but we have to work through all of the things that we that we don't like or that make us uncomfortable. And so, 
Um, so we confessed it walking in, man, we're not looking forward to this, but we're, we're going to go to this luncheon. And so I didn't even really know what to expect. I knew we were going to get some lunch and uh, there was going to be some sort of speaker or something. And this guy sits down and starts to talk. And uh, he's actually an author of a book that now um, I've ordered a bunch of them, been handing them out to people because it really had an impact on me. And as he started to talk, he, uh, he just really let out with a, a really tough story from his life where his brother that he was really close to had passed away suddenly. And that grief just had, had shook him and had wrecked him and almost wrecked his marriage and a lot of his relationships. And as he had begun to try to work through that through the years, God had really brought him back to the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, just to see it in more clarity, what's being communicated in these pages, and the idea that everything is meaningless was life-giving to him. So I know that sounds crazy. And I hope as we work through this, this book, that's going to make a lot more sense to you. But I noticed as I was sitting there again, I walked into this room, this lunch, um, with my mind and heart, ears closed. I'm not really excited to be there thinking about the thing I had after lunch and trying to get there as quick as I could. And then the minute that this guy began to say that he was he was speaking from a place. He had found life and answers to a, found life and answers to a place of an experience that he had actually walked through. Uh, if you know much about my story, I, I lost a friend that really was really close to me, and uh, and so I, I immediately resonated with with what he was feeling and where he was. And and I've noticed that the minute that he said that he had experienced similar loss, my my ears perked up, and he had me the rest of the time. And I've seen this just the older that I get. You know, there's people who talk a lot of stuff and say they're experts on a lot of things. And I've kind of gotten to the point that you don't talk to me as if you're an expert unless you have experienced it. You know, people who write books about raising kids that haven't seen a kid all the way out of the house, don't write a book about raising kids. You don't know what you're talking about. People who write books about marriage that aren't married. People who write, write books about being single who aren't single, right? If, you, if you're not in that place where you're experiencing those things, you are not the expert to talk about it. You just don't get the right, at least in my book. Now, you may, you may feel differently, but I, I give you my ear if I know that you've experienced it and walked through the thing that I'm experiencing and walking through or the thing I'm about to experience and walk through. I listen to you. Who do you listen to? And why do, why do you listen to them? You know, there's a lot of voices out there right now, probably more than ever, Right? I mean, I've thought a lot about it with my, uh, with my teenagers because, you know, growing up, basically I had my parents, the, uh, the folks that we were connected to at church, my coaches. I mean, it was a pretty small circle that was able to speak into my life. I mean, there was a local newspaper, the De Queen Bee. Uh, total, total side note, but uh, Terry and I, so we were in this journalism class together. That's kind of where we, we started. To, she started passing notes to me. She, uh, Asked me out on a date that way, but uh, we uh, we got to know each other in journalism class, and journalism class took a little, you know, trip to the the Queen Bee to see how the the paper was printed, and I didn't hear anything because I was just looking at that girl the whole time, and so when I asked her to marry me, that I asked her at the De Queen Bee. I got the the keys to the place, and at night I kind of I blindfolded her and took her in, and I'm sure I mean it smelled horrible in the De Queen Bee. <laughs> Uh, but then I, you know, flipped on the lights and here we are, took off the blindfold. Hey, baby, will you marry me? And then, you know, while well, we're next to all the ink cartridges, but 
Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, but my, my worldview, you know, what does the, the Queen Bee talk about? It talks about what's happening in town. Uh, as sad as it is, is Colin, Colin Ray's place. You know, he's fixing to have the big festival or the, what happened at the Little League baseball game the other night. And it was about this big. And there might be on page, you know, how many pages there were, probably four, you know, on the back of the back page, there might be some sort of state news or world news, but it was, it was really limited, but that's, that was the exposure that I had. And, um, and then I remember, you know, it brought that a little bit bigger to, uh, the Arkansas Gazette, you know, then it was like Arkansas news. And every once in a while I would catch some world news. Actually, after Terry and I got married, I don't know why we were watching the PBS, but uh, we only had a few channels. PBS would come on, and then all of a sudden, there was this certain noise, uh, this lead-in to the BBC, the the British Broadcasting Company, I guess. Uh, and I immediately was just drawn in. I mean, one, the you know the people up there, the the folks on the screen, like, like they're not all fixed up as nice and neat. They all got gaps in the front of their teeth, you know, which I was drawn into. Like, hey, these people are actually telling the news. And then they were talking about things that were global, the things that were, that were bigger than just me in my place. And immediately I was like, man, maybe I should listen to this because this seems to be a bigger perspective. In fact, I just this morning, because I, I, I usually check out the BBC most mornings, uh, did you guys know that the South African Zulu king was poisoned, ended up in, in the hospital. They had to, somebody in his house tried to, tried to kill him. I guarantee you that was not on the Queen Bee this morning. Uh, but BBC is just a little bit bigger, right? It, it, was, it was one of the top 10 things that's happening in the world today. And so I've chosen to open my ears up to some things and chosen to close my ears to others. And so it's a big question to ask today. We're going to begin to look at this book where this, this writer, this author begins to teach us. And we have to decide, are you going to open your ears to hear it? Or are you going to be closed off to it? And who are the voices? What are the voices? And why are those voices the ones that you listen to and other ones you close yourself off to? So we'll kick it off because uh, we need to get uh, introduced to who this, this speaker is. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. This word teacher is the Hebrew word koheleth. And uh, it can be translated preacher or teacher or lecturer. Basically, the one that's, that's giving out words of knowledge, which I think is really interesting. This isn't like uh, the person who's just you know, spinning in thoughts, but he's actually a, a preacher, a teacher. He's, he's giving us answers to life's big uh, enigmas and problems and, and things that we deal with. He is a, a teacher. But something that's really interesting about this, the, the teacher is a character uh, and the author is, is really unknown. Uh, but the author wants us to hear and process the teacher's words. And the teacher goes about deconstructing all the ways that we try to find meaning and purpose in life apart from God. That's kind of the, the heart of what he's, he's teaching us. And most agree that the teacher character is King Solomon. If you see it there, the son of David, king of, in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of other things that come as you, as you walk through the book that you're, oh yeah, this, this character is Solomon. And, uh, and most also, also agree that the author 
that's talking about the words of the teacher is also Solomon. And, and it either is Solomon, uh, even though it's, it's kind of an unknown, but it either is or it's somebody who knows way too much about Solomon, who read all of his journals, hung out with him, had a PhD in Solomon's life because he's way too close to him. And uh, I'm of the mind that, that, that Solomon is both the character in the story, the teacher, and also the one writing the story. But you got to admit, I mean, anybody who talks third person is kind of weird. <laughs> if I say, you know, Mark was talking today and he said this and, you know, Mark went to the, y'all just, in fact, we got one friend that anytime somebody talks third person, she goes, stop, stop. That's just weird. Stop. But you got to admit in this book, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant the way that he does this. He talks about the teacher. And um, one of the verses, this is just an example from uh, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I, the teacher, was king in Jerusalem. So I just get this picture that, that he's both the author and this character, the teacher. So let's talk about Solomon for a second. And most of what we, we know about him, if we go to 1 Kings, you can find out a lot. I'd encourage you to go back and, and check these things out. But Basically, a short story, what happened, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, ask what I shall give you. Now imagine being asked that of the Lord, like, what do you want? And Solomon says, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. And it pleased the Lord that this is what Solomon asked for. And so chapter three, verse 12 of, uh, of 1 Kings says this, the Lord speaking, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never uh, have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. So God says, all right, I'll give you wisdom. Then I'm going to up that. I'm going to give you this, this wealth and this power and this influence. And so of all people, again, I'm building a case here for us to say that this Solomon guy has the right to be the teacher and the one that we should open our ears and listen to. What he has to say here is really powerful and valuable. And, uh, and he goes about, I mean, like the first story, the first example of now Solomon has this incredible supernatural wisdom is a really interesting story that you, you might have heard before. So uh, in the kingdom, there are these, these two prostitutes that have uh, babies about the same time. And one of them rolls over in the night and suffocates her child. And so she takes her baby and she goes over and she, she switches the babies out. And when the, the other mama wakes up and her, the child is dead, and then she looks at it closely. And she's like, this isn't my child. And she looks over and the, the other lady, she's like, oh, that, that's my baby. And that baby, and she's like, no, it's not. That one's your baby. And so this argument breaks out. So they bring it to Solomon to answer the problem. And they say, hey, she's saying it's, that the live baby is, the living baby is hers, but I think it's mine. And they're, they're arguing. And the picture, the first picture we get of Solomon's wisdom is he looks at it and he says, bring me a sword. So they bring him out a sword and he says, cut the child in half. That way both can be happy. One will get half the baby. The other will get the other half the baby. And one mama cries out and says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't hurt the child. She can have it. And the other mama's like, no, 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 cut it in half. And Solomon immediately goes, 
the one who would rather the child live than have the child is the true mother. Give the baby there. And it says that everybody went, what? What is this wisdom? <laughs> I know that's a crazy story, but it's a picture of he, he evidently just, man, these problems, these things would come and he just, he showed the incredible, I mean, I don't know what you would do in that spot. What would you do? How would you determine which mother was the true mother? Uh, it also tells the story of the queen of Sheba, who was this powerful ruler of the Southern kingdom, now Yemen and uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea, that, that part of the world. And she made a journey uh, with a huge entourage to, to check out this legend of Solomon to see if it was really true. Was he really that wise? Was his, his kingdom really that great? Was his wealth really that amazing and big? And when the, when the story's over, it says that she was breathless, so already, and I mean, this is a queen who, I mean, in her own right, right? She, she has a lot of possessions. She has a lot of things. She has a lot of power, a lot of influence. She comes to check out this King Solomon, and it says that it was so amazing to her that she was breathless. And she said, you know, this is twice what I had been told that it was. It's that much bigger. It's 2X. Um, what we know, some of the things that are thrown out about Solomon's wealth and wisdom and his might— uh, 4,000 stalls of chariot horses. I know that doesn't mean a ton to us, but think about that for a second. Four, the chariot horse, the, the horses that pulled the chariot, 4,000 stalls of those horses. I uh, did a little math, and I'm not a great mathematician, but uh, I think it's saying that there were 50,000 pounds of gold each year, not counting, and it named off several other things that that. Gold would find its way into the kingdom, but just as a given, 50,000 pounds of gold a year. And then it starts talking about how everything was gold in the house <laughs> because they had so much gold. They didn't want to... It reminded me of the movie. I don't know if y'all seen this one. I think it's uh, American Made. Uh, it's, it's, about, it's, it's about Mina, which is uh, not too far from the place that we grew up. So it feels like it's close to home. And it's about this guy who was running drugs for the cartel from, from Central America and uh, there's just so, some funny parts where he's got more money than he knows what to do with. And so they're burying it in the yard and sticking it in the closet. And the dog digs up some of the money and brings it in. And they're like, what are we doing? We don't know what to do with all this money. It feels like that's what we're talking about with Solomon. There's just so much gold everywhere. It's like, hey, what should we do with this? Well, maybe we should take that gold and I don't know, you know, make a fork out of it. I don't know. Um, so not only is his wealth so huge, his wisdom so amazing, his influence so big that people are coming from around the world to find out about it, says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, as, as sick and crazy that is for everyone involved, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the reality that there were that many wives, concubines. And one thing that I think is critical to understand about that, most of those probably came from alliances that he was making with different world powers, right? Um, different deals that he was making, um, you know. So in his household, there were people from all over the world and this bigger global perspective because of the influence and the, and the relationships that he was building with all these different kingdoms. And so basically what we're getting at is if Solomon can't find the meaning in life down here without God, then who can? Because he had the means to pursue it, Right? So if, if money is the thing, well, he, he had it all. So if it was possible to be happy with money, then he could do it. If, it was, if sex is the answer, he, he, had, he had the ability to, to pursue it. If, 
if possessions, if power, if you name it, if, if knowledge, whatever the thing is, Solomon could pursue it all to the end and come back and give us the answer. Is there life there? You know, there are so many movies today about that, right? Like uh, the story of, of our world being uninhabitable and these chosen few that are really wealthy or powerful for one reason or another or knowledgeable, we send them off to go find out could we possibly live on this other planet or in this other place? Is there, is there a life there? And they come back and report to us, there's no life there. Well, Solomon, of all the people, he's the one. He, go, he goes on this journey, <laughs> he tests out all the waters and comes back and says, you know what? It's, life is not there. Life is not there. It can't be found any other place. No one will have the money or power or knowledge and be able to, to do that and come back and report to us. In fact, there's one line, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. It's a good example. It says, I try, he says, I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. And uh, one of the commentators that, that I listened to, he said, uh, I mean, basically, this, this, this can be interpreted, they, you know, he got drunk and took notes. <laughs> Like in, in, in each one of these categories, he, he, did, he did it. He, he did whatever that thing is that promises life. And he took notes and made a thesis and came back and was like, hey, here you go. It's not there. It's not there. It's, it's not there. And so verse two, it says it this way. And this is the repeated thing all the way through Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So be encouraged, Grove Church. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems like a real Debbie Downer, right? Uh, like, okay. And, and when this guy that we went to this, this preacher lunch says that that brought life and encouragement to him, the understanding of, of that line, it's one of the reasons I walked out and said, maybe I've misunderstood Ecclesiastes in the past, because when I hear meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, I don't feel encouraged, right? Um, that word meaningless is the Hebrew word hebel. And um, man, here, here's just some other words uh, that uh, you could translate this, this Hebrew word hebel to. It's a, it's a vapor, vanity, empty fleeting, futile, a fraud, useless, worthless, unpredictable, like a vapor, like smoke that you can't get your hands on. And this word is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, it, it happens so often that when you read it, you're like, man, I'm all right, I think I got the point. It's just over and over and over and over. Along with it, several of the times, it also says it's meaningless. It's just a chasing after the wind. A chasing after the wind. Imagine that, you know, like uh, smoke and vapor is a good picture. Like, you know, just trying to like get your hand and grab, grab, grab smoke, trying to chase the wind. I don't know if you got a dog in your house that chases its tail, but... You ever watch the dog chase its tail and just, you know, and, and you laugh and you're, you're like, man, yeah, that's funny. And you know what? A lot of my life, I have been the dog chasing my tail and it is to no profit, this says, a chasing after the wind. And that sounds really, really depressing. 
One thing that's interesting, the, uh, the Jews, there were a few books that they really had trouble with being a part of the Jewish canon. One was Song of Solomon, because let's be honest, it's just too erotic. It seems like, man, should that really be in there? We all go, oh, what? Is this really, is this really in the Bible? Uh, and then Ecclesiastes, because they said it felt like it was just too happy. Because also six times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, so at the end of the day, eat and drink and enjoy your life. That's another repeated theme. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. So eat, drink, enjoy your life. I love the raw truth here. And I'm going to try to sum it up and Charlie will dive deeper and deeper and deeper as we work through the book. But we just give too much value to the good and the bad in life. We just give it too much weight. And so these things, we, we think that they're going to do something that they were never able to do, that only our creator can do. But we think maybe money can do it. Maybe a, a relationship can do it. Maybe, maybe if, if I had more power and influence, it, it could do it. Maybe, maybe love, maybe, maybe what, what's, what's this thing that, I'm, uh, that possibly just maybe. And then maybe you've gotten it or maybe you're still, you know, in reaching out for it and it seems out of your grasp. But then you get it and you find out just like Solomon did in all of these different things. Oh, it didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Because it was never going to be able to do that. It wasn't intended to do that. It's it's not powerful enough. You know, just, just in, in my story, I mean, I think of the time, you know, oh, oh, only if my sibling would move out and I could have my own room, you know? And then only, only if I could get my driver's license. And then only if I could get a car. And then, you know, only if, man, uh, maybe I could get a girlfriend. And then well, oh, only if I could get married. And, and then only if we could have a kid. Oh, only if we could have two kids. Only, only, if, only, only if I could get that job and, and not be the, the worker bee, but the, the one that's calling the shots. Only if I could, only if I'd. And every one of those things, you get to the thing, it's like, only it, but, it, but you get there and you go, oh, well, this, this didn't do what I thought it was going to do, and it never promised to. And then the flip side, which is, is what this, uh, this author uh, was talking about, the, the bad things that we fear. Only if I could, you know, not, <laughs> I think I told you all a couple weeks, I mean, I had this horrible cold, only, and now it's, now it's going away, it's still lingering, but it's like, only if I could not have this cold or, or I would never have a cold again, you know? Only if, if my family could, could be protected and no bad things happen. Like, like that, I could be happy if I could know that, that we were protected and there was no bad things, no bitter things coming into our life. None of the, the bad stuff to be afraid of. But the truth is that, that working and angling and effort and energy and fear to try to keep bad things from happening at the same time, y'all, we know. Bad things are coming. One of the raw truths of Ecclesiastes is, man, what we think things should work out, the good guy, the good girl wins. Our experience tells us, Solomon's experience tells us that that's just not the way it works out. You know, sometimes it does, but not always. Sometimes the person who does everything right dies at age 20. And the guy that did everything wrong lives to be 80. 
Now you make sense of that. It doesn't seem like justice to me, right? We look around our world all the time and go, that's not just. That's not right. The equation that I think it should work out, it's not working out that way. How do we make sense of that? We put too much weight in the good and the bad. We act like the bad's surprising to us. You know, when we talk about budgeting, we talk about this, like, man, you know, that, that fund that you have for the day that the air conditioner goes out, that's not if the air conditioner is going to go out. That's when the air conditioner goes out, right? That part of your life that you're like, man, I hope the bad thing doesn't happen. That's not if the bad thing happens. You guys, tough things are going to happen. People you love are going to die. You know, it's the, the thing that you don't, it, it, it's true. We can't, we can't protect all the things. And so it's, it's chasing after the wind, all that effort and all that energy and all that fear is chasing after the wind. And look what he goes on to say, uh, verse three. What do people gain from all their labor, labors at which they, they toil under the sun? That word gain is the Hebrew word yethron. What advantage, what, what profit do they get? You know, it says several times, we, we come into the world with nothing and we leave the world with nothing. And all of that effort and toil and energy, what was profited? And it's interesting, this, this phrase, the toil under the sun. 29 different times in the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it uses this word, under the sun. So as we study it, something that's really important to keep in mind is that this book is about life under the sun. The preacher, the teacher doesn't talk much, uh, hardly at all, until the very end of the book about eternity and about <laughs> the, the next life. In that bigger picture, he's talking about life under the sun, here on this earth, a place that time is ticking, a place that we have a start and we have an end. And then he talks a lot about how we have this, this end and then our place will remember us no more. The grass will grow over our graves, you know? How many of you guys know your, your grandparents' grandparents. Do you know their names? How many generations would you have to go back before you don't know your, your ancestors, right? And you think, move forward. How many of your kids, children's children, how many generations would it take before you are completely forgotten? <laughs> These are harsh, true realities of life under the sun. And so we'll get to the end of the matter where we talk about this, this bigger picture of eternity and of this incredible God and how that fits into all of this. But if you look at life under the sun, be encouraged. <laughs> There's a, a meaningless to it. And we are often guilty of giving these things too much value. The value and the worship and the attention that our God deserves, we give it to these pursuits. And they can't, they can't give life. You know, as you walk into the summer, I, I'm sure that you're probably better at this than me, but uh, one of the big things that I've always struggled with is how to vacation well, how to, um, um, how to have time off well. I remember early on in, in my career, I was like, man, I work, 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 work. And then I would look forward to those few days that, that I didn't have, have you know, my, my job and 
that I could check out a little bit. And then I would look at those times and I would think, okay, man, rest is going to be found there. You know, those few days that I don't, that I don't have these, these worries and these concerns and these things that I'm working in. Rest is going to be found there. Recharge is going to be found there. Fun is going to be found there. Uh, I would look at what other people were doing on vacation and think, man, if I could only go to that place, if I could only do that thing. And then we would do something and I would build up so much anticipation and put so much weight and value on a, a time of vacation. Like, like it was going to be, it was going to be life-giving. And the way that I'm so uh, in a really ditch way, uh, you know, frugal with money and thinking about like, I want to make sure that every single dollar that's spent on whatever that was, every, you know, every gallon of gas, every meal that we eat, if we do something for entertainment, like all of those things, man, I want to make sure that, so if some kid, one of my kids starts crying while we're at the theme park, it makes me mad. I mean, we're supposed to be having fun. You wasting moments and in, in dollars because we're not having fun at this theme park right now. And I invested in this, and this time is supposed to do this. And y'all know, <laughs> a lot of times, my most stressful times have been on vacation or family gatherings, or you know, it's like you try to do that. In fact, we've got a close friend, um, man, a couple that was going through a really, really, really hard time, and they got a chance to go on vacation. And they drove a long ways and had this big plan and got there and uh, the wife got sick and was not able to, to do the things because she just had to, to lay in bed and recover. And when she told us that, it made me want to throw up, <laughs> right? Like, like, man, this is the chance. But here's the thing, in the same way that it's meaningless, man, vacation can never be enjoyed. Life can never be enjoyed if, if the expectation that's put upon it, if it can't hold. It's not strong enough to hold. A vacation can't do that for you. It can't. But God can. There's not life there. Rest is not found there. It's, fa- it's found in Him. Enjoy vacation. But don't, but don't expect that. If it do- doesn't go the way that you planned, which, you know, at least half the time, it's not going to. It's not the end of the world because that's not where life was found. And you should fully expect it because you guess what? Things don't go the way that we planned. They just don't. That's not reality. But it is true that God gives life if we look to him. All right, so I hope, man, I hope this gets you guys excited about this study. And I would encourage you to, uh, to go and to read Ecclesiastes in between times and just to be Uh, just to be ready um, as Charlie walks us through the rest of these chapters. All right, let me pray for us. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.